Oh, sorry guys. What's going on and welcome to podcast number two. I want to start this one by saying thank you for every single person who watched the interview with Bear Drills. I hope there was something you could take away from that podcast. If not, I hope you had a laugh and it gave you something to do in this very weird time where we're all stuck inside. Now, today's guest, I am so excited about, guys. As you can see there, Facebook, to the left of me, is Your Mind Matters. And this guest has recently taken a big step into the cheerleading industry. And um, this guest is making a big, big, big difference at one of the top programs in the UK. Throughout this podcast, I literally just shut up and let her talk. She has so much valuable information to give to you. Um, so yeah, let's just get into it. And welcome to Coffee with Sam, podcast number two. Like puzzle pieces, puzzle pieces. Welcome to the second podcast. <laughs> um, Thank you. So Even I, with this straight back hair, this is not a good look, is it? But we don't care about looks, do we? No, I, well, I just, this is the first time I went and put my contact lens in, I did my hair, I was like, <laughs> go to work. I was like, and I went to my garage. Um, so I've done the opposite. I've taken my nails off, my eyelashes are off. It's like, oh, screw it. We're in a relaxed environment here, nothing serious, it's fine. Um, so true. Good. So I want to start with a background of who you are and what you do and so uh i've got an odd background i think because it's many things so uh, like when i was really young i was into sports and gymnastics and different things as well played netball did some gymnastics my sister was way better than i was but i then went ahead and did a degree in performance and related arts and did lots of performing and so I feel a real connection with people in cheer. It's all about fitness, performance, getting on a stage, but it's not a stage, it's a competition. There's a sports thing, but there's also about performance in it. Um, I then worked and did an MBA in London. Um, and that's what started to get me into the more psychological aspect of things, working with businesses, working with people. And then thought, actually, I really love this and having my kids. And I've now moved over and gone completely into psychology. And I am a uh, therapist and I work with, you name it, everyone. So I work with kids, I work with families, I work with couples, I work with individuals and you name the issues. I work with a lot of them, eating disorders, addictions, lack of motivation, feeling stressed. Um, I work with Brighton and Hove Football Club and Southern Water. So with Brighton and Hove, that's about all sorts of things, especially there female players I've seen for all sorts of reasons. And a lot of that brought me to um, sports, mental blocks, issues around that as well. So I've got a checkered history, I think. Yeah, a bit of everything. Um, but that was the, 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 sports, the sports aspect. And then also um, seeing what you've done with Zodiac All-Stars, um, I think is a great, great, great thing. And you can see the change in their program, I think. I don't know how long you've been being inv getting involved in it. I think you can see the change in how they, they're thinking about things and the attitude of their athletes is changing. Um, do you think that's a impact you've had? Or I know both their coaches are great, but 
I, I'd say I've got a small part in it. So I don't turn around. So like when I do cheer stuff in other gyms, I don't say I'm affiliated to Zodiac. It's like Brian and Andy, that is their baby. And they yeah. are incredible coaches and coaches. They are incredible athletes themselves. They've got a long history of cheer. I think, I mean, Brian is my daughter. So, you know, that absolutely needs saying. And that's how I got involved in cheer in the first place. She wouldn't let me get involved at all for the first few years. She was like, you're not because every time I go into anything people make friends with me I make friends with people they say oh my god can you come and help can you do this and she was really aware of that and I think she was just like get off don't go anywhere near my stuff and yeah, yeah. um, so quite a few years ago, we did start some psych classes and bits and pieces but I think my part in it is is the conversations Brie and Andy and I had in, over those years and I found it really interesting because I think the athletes are different I think Brie and Andy are really good at psychology like if something's going wrong, they sit and have a conversation. We talk things out. If I say we, you know, if ever I'm there, if if we're in a warm up and someone's having a meltdown, you know, it used to be that they chuck them to me. I feel a little bit like Nanning McPhee for Zodiacs in that they may not have wanted me, but they, there was a need there and, and for many years ago and that that was sorted. And now they definitely don't need me. New people that come along maybe do. And some of the younger teams who are growing, but when you look at some of their really successful teams, I mean, I say really successful. We had a competition a couple of weeks ago and, and it was just amazing to watch because every single team came first and they won all five grand champs. And, and it is about their heads. You know, sometimes even in warm up, they're sitting chatting, that they, they, they are warming up and they're doing bits and pieces, but don't think people get that 90% of your game is in your head when you're on the floor. 90%. That's what all the best sports people say and all the best sports coaches say. And, and sometimes it's worth just sitting down and talking your stuff out. How can you base someone if you've got a problem with them? And how can you trust someone flying if you've got a problem with them? And how can you trust yourself if you've got a problem with yourself? If you are worried about stuff, you know, Often when you meet a kid with a mental block, the way the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system works, it's not always about the, the back handspring. It's often about the fact that they're struggling a bit at home or they're not getting on well with friends at school. It's often about something else. So teaching coaches to talk to their kids and know how to do it properly. That's the other thing. Everyone, you can open up a can of worms. Good for you. Now what are you going to do with it? So I think there has to be an element of professionalism in there. It's not just a question of sitting talking it out and I I think maybe that's where I came in a little bit with Brian and Andy but I am so not going to take away from them Brian's choreography is some of the best at the moment and, and Andy that they they are such a great team the way they work together they, they complement each other in their skills and I don't think people get that they do all their own stuff they don't ask anyone else in it's her choreography Andy works on sorting all the stuff out, making sure that bits and pieces are right. And he's really good with people. They've both got very different complementary skills and they're good at what they do. So if I have a part in it, it's a very small part. And I think their heads are brilliant around practice, around what they expect their kids to do. Uh, and they do expect their kids to be part of the team. They expect their kids to do their stretching, do their jumps, do everything that they should be doing. And they, once you've got that going, what's amazing is that it's really difficult at first. I think you have to sometimes weed some people out. Yeah. If you've got two or three bad eggs, it, if you're better off having three rather than 10 if they're better. And then you build up from that. And then everyone expects to join in that sort of way of being. So if, if you can do that, you know, often if you've got a real problem in your team with a parent or 
with a kid, you have to start to make some quite clinical decisions as to what's good for everybody. And I don't just mean to win. And there's nothing wrong with winning. And that's the other thing. And that's the other thing I think I would recommend to anyone I go and see. What's your problem with people wanting to win? Like, why is that a problem? Of course you want to win. You're in sports. You know, there, there are mathletes. There are kids that are brilliant at maths. There are kids that are brilliant at English. And, and they're going to write the most incredible poems and be... Oh, just artistic and wonderful and there are people who are brilliant artists and they're and some of our kids will never get good grades that's not what they're about but oh my god cheer becomes their absolute life what's wrong with winning and as long as you stick by the rules you know there's a lot of hate when you're successful hate is great mm-hmm. if you're great a lot of hate you know like 100%. that's really true they, they go together and that's okay too there's a viciousness in some of the things and that's one of the things I noticed in America actually being at NCA being at Summit and other places the support in America is different it is oh my god well done you're reinventing like they get so many compliments and they get great conversations here there's more of an attack and I feel sad about that not from coaches coaches are amazing in the UK and they're really supportive I'm not quite sure why it is or where it comes from some parents maybe some people I'd love to say it's not too many people and I hope it isn't like this whole virus outbreak sadly I think it's going to polarize people I think the nice will be nice and the hideous will still be fairly hideous yeah yeah definitely I I noticed that when I was in America with that they weren't scared to talk about winning whereas I find in the UK we're scared to talk about winning it's a oh we'll do okay or we're going to go there and well, we want to come top 10 or top five. It's never, we're going to win. And I found in America, it was, the whole season was down to, well, do you want to win Worlds? Do you want to win? Um, when we're in the gym, we're stuck at the gym at 12, 12.30 on the night time. And it's, it's like, well, do you want to go again? Well, not really. Well, do you want to win? Okay, cool. We'll go again. That's fine. Whereas in England, it would be, I want to go home. I've got to sleep. I've got school tomorrow. Or I've got work tomorrow. And I, I get that that, it get it can it can get where it starts to affect schooling or work etc but in america they didn't care it was i, I want to win so i'll deal with that tomorrow when i'm tired um <laughs> not right now we'll just stay in the gym and we'll yeah i think it's a balance of philosophy of course school matters you know you've got to want your kids to do well in school or support them to do well enough you know there's a really famous guy called donald winnicott um who um, is his name Donald? My mind's a bit blurred at the moment. Sorry, I had some good news yesterday. I was uh, I was told I don't still have cancer and I don't have it in my brain. So my my brain's a bit fuddled at the moment, befuddled. So there's this guy called awesome. Congratulations. That he um he he was very instrumental in making sure that parents could stay with kids in hospitals because their healing was better. That that kids heal way faster than adults, but for a while they weren't because we were separating children were just visited at four o'clock by the parents kind of in the 60s and he turned a phrase about good enough and that that is really important it's helped me through parenting I do not get parenting right people expect me to I screw up I make mistakes I but I own them and I say sorry and I look at ways of moving on my parenting just has to be good enough my coaching just has to be good enough my therapizing has to be good enough um, and, and I think around winning and having that winning mentality of course we should go for winning because if you aspire to get here and you just get here that's better than you would have done if you just aspire to go here there's nothing wrong with having aspirational goals and wanting to 
succeed. And I find it interesting in sport, almost we're not allowed to, but when we get to elite status, we are allowed to. Of course, you're gonna to want to win the Olympics. However, in cheer, it's like, oh no, don't say you wanna win. I think we've gotta be kind. We have a very strict policy around absolutely applauding everybody else and not screaming and jumping up before anyone else. And you have to watch the complacency that comes with it as well. When you start winning a lot, that's what everyone expects from you. Yeah. You'll get people saying, oh, let's listen out for Zodiacs at second or first. Why? Like a while ago, I think one of our teams came fifth in the first day. And on the second day, I think they came second or third. I can't quite remember. I was in chemo at the time. And there was talk about, oh, they were really clapping though. They were clearly just, no, they were so thrilled that they've managed to work their way back up. That's the aspiration. Okay, you've done something bad. What a great thing to teach a kid. You didn't do so well, get back up. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what you do now. Yep. That's what matters. And it's the approach and it's how do you do that? What are you doing? It's that curiosity that I love in America. And actually I've seen it in English coaches talking to, you talk to different people, JLDC, talk to Unity, talk to great, great, great clubs that are out there and up and coming and changing and the different people that I've done workshops for as well. You know, it's so good to see people, okay, to be curious and to find out how much of a head really matters. Like, you know, if a kid cries, don't stop them crying, but say, go on, go for it. You've got two minutes back on the floor. But you know, things like that are really important. And ask them why, because if you spend that little bit of investment on that person for a couple of minutes, it's costing your time, they're gonna get out on the floor and be way more effective. So I think that was interesting about the difference in America and in the UK. Um, but just to be somewhere like that, just to be part of that crowd, part of those people, the support, to watch people. You, you watch these people with their sort of like 10 rings on or five around their necklaces or whatever that they're wearing or, or what they've got. And, you know, just to be part of that, if you've got rings, you look at them and we should look at them with respect. If, if you see someone walking with a jacket, whether they're a prep jacket or an all-star jacket, it doesn't matter what level they are. My God, they've achieved something. And I admire that. I do. Good. Yeah, they, and they, have a, they do have a different mindset and, and how they hold themselves. I spent a season with people who had got two or three rings and it was... Yeah. It changed me. Like I say, I got I got the confidence to to text back home and say, "Make sure you're there on finals day because I'm about to win worlds." And I'd never been that confident. We didn't win, but would we have come second if we didn't have that attitude to be so bold and say, "We're about to win," um, and it, it changed. And oh my god, I'm second! <laughs> you know, I'm second. Like. Oh, who can say that? Not many people can. Like, that is still incredible. We still need to celebrate. We need to celebrate approach. We need to celebrate the desire. We need to celebrate that lust for wanting to do well and being good at what you do. When an individual athlete does it, when somebody does it, as I said, at the Olympics or anywhere else, we're applauding them. We're going, yes. And like, if you support England and you want them to win at football, you're like, yes, come on, or your favorite team why aren't we doing that in cheer yeah. to a certain extent? Well, we're going, of course I want to win the Premier League. Of course I do. Yeah, that's, that was the co that's what I find. The coaches in America are a lot more strict. They're not as forgiving. Very ruthless in like the pursuit of, of, of being successful. But they're great at like explaining, like you just have, they were to pick us back up again and 
um, and the mindset of the team was very, we were deflated. And one of the athletes on the team said it, said it perfectly. He said, um, let us mourn today and we'll be happy tomorrow with second because we've been telling ourselves for the last three months we were going to win. So let us get over this now and then tomorrow we'll celebrate. And I was a bit like, uh, I'd never been in that position before, like never been up the top, never like in, in the world anyway. Um, so I was just a bit, oh, I want to get excited about second. Um, like why is everyone else so sad? But then the next day you saw their attitude change. They were happy. They were jumping around with their medals. They were like, yeah, I'll come second. And it was like, ah, but these were people who were used to winning and they hadn't won. Whereas me, I'd won. Coming second, I'd won. Um, but I don't think we would have come second if we hadn't had that the confidence slash cockiness to say we're going to win. And I think that's where it borderlines in England. People are scared to say it because as English, we say, why are you being so cocky? Instead of, yeah. oh, good, yeah, I think you've got it, yeah. There's a difference between cocky and arrogant and confident and it's like we're taught to be selfless in the uk oh no before you no no please before you no no please you go first yeah. shut up Why have to go first and own it i'm a really direct therapist i believe in accountability and growth and if you look at like boris johnson at the moment he you know everyone's saying oh he should be doing this and he should be doing that and if someone else was in charge they'd be doing that look we don't know what someone else would be doing he's doing his best as everyone else is because no one knows what they're doing but one of the things he's being slated for is his directness. He's saying things like, a lot of people will die. A lot of people won't be okay. That's the truth. Children need truth. If we keep saying, oh, no, you know, it's all okay. It doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> how do we get that belief? We don't know if it's going to be okay or not. So children want some direction. They need to know that you're okay as their parent. They need to know that their immediate surroundings are okay for now. Yeah. And it's okay to be getting things wrong at the moment and not trying to do a lot of things. And, and we need, that's very important in cheer as well, as coaches or as anybody else. It's really important to to be direct, to say it how it is. And actually we find, and it's something a lot of successful teams do, separating out, um, make sure you've got your all-star, your prep and your rec, make sure you've got separation from parents as well, actually really important because if you go away with a group of kids, you are their parent for that time thing, whether the kids are with their parents or not, whether the parents are there or not, just to create that mentality, to create that team spirit, to create that winning thing. When you see that team walk through and they're all together and you think they're being arrogant, maybe they're just working on being together as a team. We make an awful lot of assumptions and we always think we're right in our assumptions. The same as we probably think we're not going to get ill in the next few months. There's, there's a, bias for optimism in human beings that's what we do and let's say we think oh you know i'm never going to get flooded and then we get flooded we'll go oh i might get flooded but then oh i'm never going to have a house fire yeah. yeah so you know there's nothing wrong with that let's buy into that and let's use that that's a good thing human beings are very resilient we're incredible and in cheer we are you know when your kids fall down we have to let them cry. We have to let them not be okay. There have been times when we, we've come off the floor and we've done so badly and like whatever, and a child's crying and I can be there and, and or someone else can. Brian told me off for picking a child up the other day and, and it's because I wanted to hear her. I wasn't trying to molly coddle her. It's, we have to teach children just distress tolerance. Yeah. Instead of going up and saying, it's all okay. I remember doing a show because I say I've done a lot of performing arts and 
there was a kid on stage and he really wasn't in a good way and he had quite a few issues Tourette's amongst them and all sorts of stuff and he was really struggling to get this poem out and, and I was sitting next to his mum ironically at the front and she went to get up and I put my hand on her leg and I said let him struggle and everyone probably thought I was a vicious cow at that point but eventually I mean he had tears streaming out of his eyes and I was thinking oh it's getting close do I have to stand up do I rescue him at this point? I was like, I've just got to give him a few more seconds. And he said his poem. So this, this whole show was for children with special needs or, you know, just children who would struggle to do anything else at any one time. And he said his poem and he said it brilliantly. And his mum burst into tears and I just had a few streaming. But afterwards, I wouldn't let the parents backstage for a while. And I turned and I said to him, your mum is going to come in now and flood you with tears and congratulations and and tell you it's all okay and it is but I want you to celebrate this moment I want you to realize you did this by yourself and you coped with it because at one point your mum wanted to get up and she wanted to stop you feeling rubbish but if we stop our kids feeling bad how are they going to learn to manage that when they're older and cheer does that when we fail when we drop when we're not okay we have to learn to overcome that. The amount of kids I see in my therapy room with extreme anxiety, stress, depression, self-harming, um, Asperger's, ADD, you name it. I, I see a lot of kids yeah. with all sorts of issues, extreme OCD, you name it. I see it, uh, trauma, all sorts of things in their past. What they all have to learn is to tolerate that distress without putting something in place. Cheer teaches that. If we back off, if we get yeah. the coaches to say, come on, up you get, we're sorting this. Teaches a resilience and a stoicism that is only good for kids. That's one thing I brought back as, because I started coaching when I came back. That's one thing that I wanted to bring back, that they would always take it back to what you're going to do in life. So whatever they said about cheer, if you were late to practice, if you were crying at practice, and trust me, as a grown man, I cried. And <laughs> it's the first time I've been broken down, put it that way. Um, and like you say, getting back up and doing things again and pushing, they always would take it, they'd ha they would come and scream at you and then it'd be, well, are you going to do that in your later life? Some of you have got jobs or school. Are you going to be late for school? Are you going to be late for work? Uh, if you do that now, then it's going to carry on. Whereas if you can get to practice on time, then you might be work on time. If when you, yeah. when I'm shouting at you now, you're going to go home and moan to your mom about me. Well, what are you going to do when your boss shouts at you at work? Are you going to go back and and cry to your parents or because your boss is shouting at you. And like you say, it does teach you and say, I, I grew up massively and learned a lot while I was out there about myself and the way they would coach. Because I always hear I was, because I was English and I do feel we're very soft. Um, if my coach would scream and shout at me, I'd be in the changing rooms to the rest of the, to the, rest of the team or the boys and be like, oh, I hate her. Oh, she's doing my idea. Why is she shouting at me? Why does she keep telling me? And it was always, always their fault. I would never look, oh, actually, I was doing something wrong and I'm reacting completely wrong to, to how I should be. Like I was acting with anger instead of, okay, I'll fix it. Or, oh yeah, I should, I should do that. Something out there that's so important, Sam, something called accountability. When someone tells you something is wrong, you don't have to believe them fully, but you need to look for the grain of truth. What is true about that? What can I do about that? When someone comes into my therapy room and says, it's not fair, this happens, that happens, I don't have a partner, or I have this and this isn't okay, like, I'm going to listen to that story for a little while. And at some point, because I'm a very challenging therapist, I am, and I'm really aware of my style, however, I'm really full with the waiting list. I can see 
I mean, at the moment it's dropped a bit, but I, on average I have, you know, I can have up to 50 people a week sometimes because people are really desperate to see me. I'm really grateful for that. I, you That's know, what I want to do on because you're good at what you do. <laughs> I'm all right. I, I, you ask any therapist if they're good at what they do. I think it's something like, you know, 98% of us think we're in the top 98%. Well, that's not really possible, is it? But, you know, that's a nice thought. But we're talking about accountability. I, I get that the world can be really horrible sometimes. I get that cheer can be horrible. I get that people can be horrible. But actually, what you're taking into everything else isn't what they're going to do to you. That leaves you powerless. The thing about current situation even now, what we've got to look at is what power do you have? What decisions can you make? What decisions can you own? What can you do? It's like when you're on the floor, you chose to be here. You might be anxious, but own your choice. Yeah. You might... You, might be sick I, I offer free i have done since i started like if i'm at a competition and you've got a problem you know come and find me and, and i've i've been called upon many a time just about to have a bite of pizza in that 10 minutes i've got free my first point of call will always be to zodiacs of course it is if they need me in any way but other people grab me can you just talk to this person can you just talk to this person can you do this and I remember being called over to a girl who like, had, she had one of those buckets in case she was going to be sick, the cardboard ones. She was so anxious. Her parents were all, you know, flap, oh, just flapping over her. They were scared and worried for her, which I get. Yeah. And her coach was as well. There's all this panic. And I just, and they said, oh, can you come and help? I went, yeah, of course I can. And I just took the bucket and I said, you're not going to be sick. You think you're going to be sick. We're just not going to have that. We're going to stop it. And I, I used a couple of techniques, did a few things. She was fine. She went on, she wasn't sick. And I gave her some techniques to help her to not be sick. We can't say, oh, I can't do cheer because it makes me sick. We have to say, I choose to do cheer. I'm aware I feel sick. What can I do about it? What can I do? What's my choice right now? And we have to learn to be accountable. It's our choice whether we get somewhere late or early or whether we are willing to do all those videos and put them in and to be accountable for our behavior, for our choices, and how we respond. And if you have that as a culture, rather than saying, yeah, you should do this, you should do it, how dare you? Actually, as a coach, why aren't you saying, what are you willing to do right now? What are you gonna do to be coachable, to adapt, to be able to manage? What yeah. are you offering me? Show me what you can do right now, talk to me. And sometimes it takes some talk. There are times when even the best athletes, you know, you just, they need a little bit of a conversation. They might need a little bit of a hug. They might need something. But to, to kind of like when a child's crying or stressed, just to keep the parent at a distance, which of course they don't want. Listen, during this whole thing, um, Brian and Andy are here quite a lot. You know, I see them for an hour every day or more. Sometimes we have lots of conversations. I've told them they can't come in the house anymore right now because it's an additional thing because I'm considered yeah. more at risk than people. Not yeah. as much as really, but slightly more. Um, I brought my two youngest home. My eldest is in London. So my eldest Darcy is in London. Hopefully she's going to be with her partner soon because it looks like he's had it and he's going to travel back down to London to be at home. Um, my other two are at uni. I would love to, to be able to take all the people I love and put them in my home and keep them safe forever. We can't do that. And that's not practical as parents. It's an instinct. It's nice. It's not sensible, it doesn't work, it, it doesn't help. We need to teach people to tolerate the distress that they're going through, and that's something I come back to a lot. And cheer does that. Cheer teaches distress tolerance. Yeah. A lot of the time when I see kids who are in trouble, who've got different things going on for them, give me the parents a lot of the time, or give me the situation or the structure that they're in, I can change things. We start to have boundaries, we start to have limits, we start to have 
tolerances that change. Um, kids are really aware of their power nowadays. They're very aware of, I don't have to do that. And why should I? And you yeah. don't understand our rights. Yeah. Okay. You still live at home when you're funded. Your rights are interesting. And <laughs> you know, you have to have that. But one of my um, clients is a doctor and she's on the front line at the moment. And I have doctors and nurses and lawyers and all sorts of people as clients. And she's on the front line. And she said to me the other day, I don't think I can do this. I am terrified. I'm supposed to be going to a COVID ward next week. I can't do it. I can't. I'm so scared. And what she needed was the pay. And I said, well, give up then. Come on, let's just stop. Let's let you resign. Let's get you out. I knew she wasn't going to go for that. You have to know your clients. You have to yeah. work with that. And, and, and she went, no, I want to stay. I went, then let's work out how you stay. It's okay to be frightened. She's terrified. I don't blame her. Yeah, my, part, my partner works. She's a chemo nurse um, at the moment. Not. <laughs> she, she, um, she's the same. She comes home every night and obviously they get the, the full inside scoop on what us, the average people, don't get told. And yeah, she comes home panic and scared every night. And I have to, yeah. I'm not a, not a therapist at all, but you have to try and be the opposite side to that to try and bring her down and say, cool, well, you're going back to work. It's going to be fine. Um, I wouldn't, I couldn't. I would say, I don't know if it's going to be fine or not, but what I love and admire about you is that you are going to go to work tomorrow. And I respect that. I, I have a lot of love and time for you because of that. I can't tell you it's all going to be okay. I can tell you I'm here for you. I can tell you I'm going to listen. I can tell you I want you to get in the flipping shower now because I don't want it either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a little bit of black humour. You know, I can tell you that I respect you for what you're doing and I know that you're scared and it's okay to be scared. And you're an awesome human. Like, do we know it's all going to be okay? We don't, do we? We don't know who's going to get it. We don't know who's yeah. had it. We don't know what's going on. Some people say, no, it doesn't matter. It's nothing. It doesn't matter. It does. It really does. You know, yeah, it's real. It's real and it's happening. <laughs> it really is. And, you know, I think older people are really interesting in this because, oh, I've got the right to die. Who cares? You know, it's about a social and a moral responsibility now. Look, do I want to be at Bournemouth? Yes, I do. <laughs> do I want to? Do I want to be there? I want to see Tess. I want to see Ian. I want to see all the people. I, you know, that they're an amazing team. I love being at Future Year, as example. Bournemouth is just the most incredible atmosphere. And I, I really love going. And they are so supportive of me. They are incredible. Even during chemo last year, I did flight school just at the end. Very bald. But I did flight school. They had, what do you want? What do you need? What, what can you do? And my classes were full of people who want to learn how to do the psychological aspect, who want to learn how to bolster up their teams, how to deal with panic attacks, how to get children and athletes to be the best they can be. And they were full. And you know, even to the point where I had some incredible people in some <laughs> it's really interesting because I, I I read a lot about Debbie Love, never met her before. She's one of those people that works yeah, yeah, yeah. the psychology. And I was like, oh she's and I met her and everyone said, oh my God, you must meet her. She's like your American twin. And I met her over breakfast and we were chatting. And I was like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you. And she went, I've heard about you. It's so nice to meet you too. And we were getting on. And then my first talk, I sat there and there she was right at the front. And then I went, oh, okay. A little bit nervous now. <laughs> and, and she joined in and Lisa was in the back, as in Kenny and Lisa. So I was like, oh, come on. You're not what allowed are you to get doing? Nervous. You're the mind person. Yeah. You're not allowed to get nervous. 
I'll embrace being nervous. Like, and that, do you know what? That's really important. It is absolutely apt to get nervous. Do you know why? Because it shows you care. Yeah. It shows that you are passionate. It shows that you want to do the best and, and be as good as you can be in what you're doing. I love nerves. If I was going on to sing a song, if I didn't feel a bit nervous, because that's my past as well, performance, if I was about to do something, I want to be a little bit nervous because it shows that I care. If I'm nonchalant and think I'm God's gift and think whatever, I ain't going to do a good job. I know I'm not. So I want to be nervous. So I'm nervous every time I talk because what I tend to do is I work with an audience. I have a theme, I have a title, but I don't prepare anything perfectly because I will go. It's the same with my workshops in cheer. I will have a title. Let's work out what your team needs. I won't go along and say, right, we're going to fix everybody's um, mental blocks. You can't do that. It's a gimmick if you fix it in a moment because it will just come back. It takes some time and it takes some continuous work with people. They need to go backwards. They need to go through drills. They need to drop back, maybe even leave that level to team and go to a lower level. There's a long-term plan that goes with that. You can do a lot of things that sound good and look good and they'll last for a while. It'll probably come back because you haven't gone to the real stuff underneath. So I was terrified, but you know, they both came up to me and said, oh my God, thank you, we learned so much. And I was like, oh God, this is so incredible. If you're willing to embrace your own nervousness, we pathologize it. We say, oh my God, I'm anxious. No, you're not. Anxiety is a condition. It's a pathologized condition that says, I, I'm not okay, I've got a disorder. It's okay to be nervous. It's okay to be worried about the outcome. It's okay to give a damn. Nerves are a little bit different to anxiety. Cool. Embrace the cool. nerves. So, embrace the nerves. So, one in this current situation, one tip you could give to parents and also to the younger, like athlete generation, to be dealing with maybe if they are getting anxious, worried about the situation that we can't really control apart from staying in. Um, so yeah. one, tip, one tip for a parent or an adult in this situation. Um, be a parent. Don't be a teacher. Don't be their best friend. Find the balance between those. Back off. If you've got a teenager, let them sleep in a bit. Let them play some video games. Relax. Watch them have a meltdown. Their brains are wired that way. They will have a meltdown. And so are some of your younger kids. They're frightened and they're stressed. When we're stressed, we don't learn. Don't force them into learning. Don't try and be their teacher and make sure everything, you know, have a cuddle. Eat and cook a good dinner. Um, enjoy a video together. Video? Jesus, how old am I? <laughs> <laughs> Netflix, isn't it? Netflix or Disney? Yeah, oh, Disney Plus. Let's all go for that. Um, so, like, watch something on Netflix. Encourage them to find different ways of reaching out with their friends. They can't go out, but they can speak on Zoom. They can do things on Snapchat. They can TikTok together. They can, they can find all these things to do that are really good. And Netflix has the new service, doesn't it, of being able to share watching something together. So, as a parent, back off a little bit. You're scared too. It's funny, I'm doing regular sessions for Zodiac parents of, of exactly with all these questions and answers. And, you know, that's a big question that comes up. So we're doing weekly meetings for, for the parents and weekly meetings for the children as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, important. really important. And I've said to everyone, contact me. If you're not okay, contact me. You want some advice, contact me. I don't care who you are watching this. Drop me a note on Facebook. I'll write about it or I'll answer you because I do. That is what I do. And I'm passionate about that sort of stuff. I do okay for a living. If I can give back, I always will. So 
back off, back off on yourself, get rid of the rules and the regimes, have some structure, have some consequences and boundaries. Don't let them get away with murder. You've got to live with them for the next six months. And that's the other thing to think about. If you're just going to be their parent, you can have all these ideas right now. But if this sort of quarantine type situation carries on for another three weeks afterwards and another three weeks, you're going to get more tired. It's going to be harder to do. It's much more complex. Get out, have a walk when you're allowed to, as long as it's within all the guidelines and you follow all the rules. Have some fun at home, play some games together, do things you haven't been able to do in years. Look, as a parent, you probably turned around and said, I wish I had more time with my kids or I wish that I had more time off work. What do you do now? Yeah, you forced into it, yeah. Everything you wanted to do, do it. Look, can you go on the London Eye? No, you can't. But what else could you do similarly? Can you watch, you know, like a bird's eye picture around London? Can you watch feeding at zoos? Can you do virtual tours of museums? Yeah, you can. The amount of apps and bits and pieces that are offering stuff for free at the moment for kids is incredible. And I would say that that's the same for kids and athletes. And, and so I'm talking about both really, I suppose, in one section is just back off a bit, have some fun, enjoy yourself and have a little bit of structure, but on the odd day, you know, stay in your pajamas all day. On other days, have a little bit of structure. Go out and do your garden. Teach your kids cooking. Yeah. Like teach your kids learn to cook, learn to run a home, learn to clean, learn to do a bit of gardening if you're lucky enough to have a garden and you're not stuck in. Your kids learn maths and all sorts of stuff just by cooking, for example. Do different things. Do puzzles. Do old things. Keeping your brain alive and active like that, you keep your synapses and your neurons firing. It just doesn't have to be maths or history or English. Read. Read together. At the beginning of Christmas, I used to read my children a Christmas carol. At the beginning, my, my kids loved books. They're, I'm lucky they're smart kids, but am I lucky? I don't know. I, I promoted that in a, in a healthy way rather than in a forced way. If you force a child into something or an athlete into something, they'll rebel against you. So yeah. back, off, back off a bit. Your kids are going to be really struggling. They are more stressed than we are probably, whether we realize it or not, even if they're okay that their sympathetic nervous systems are all running on alarms because we're all scared, we're all worried. This is all weird, you know? And some of you might have kids and athletes who aren't gonna graduate. My, one of my daughters is not gonna graduate properly this year. You know, you might have kids who won't do their GCSEs or their A-levels and they're scared about all those things. But, you know, when it comes to education, please remember if you fail your GCSEs, you have another year to do it in. If you fail the first year of A-levels, you have another year. The second year, you have another year. If you fail your A-levels, you've got two years, three years even to do an access course. Six extra years. Now, do people want that? No, but back off. We can still get education and all those other things. Work on the basics, work on relationships, work on your child's mental health being okay. Because long-term, are our children likely to get very ill? No. But will their mental health suffer? Possibly their connections to other people will suffer during all of this. So it's about us. And, and, you know, the cost to coffee card principle in a family is really important. You know, when you go into um, a place and you get a drink and nine stamps and you get your 10th one, yeah, you got a free coffee or free hot chocolate. And as families and as couples, we stamp this cost to coffee card. You know, we're like, someone does something, you go, mm, and you shove it back in. And, and then, you know, the second and third, the fourth the fifth, when you get to the 10th, here it goes and last year and last month and three years ago and you're like whoa where did this come from what the hell you know and it's too much we can't afford to do that in enclosed living spaces that blow up isn't healthy if you feel you have a stamp 
cash it. Cash it with your kid. Can I check this out with you? And don't blame. So use techniques along the lines of when you, I feel I want. So instead of doing things like, you shouldn't do this, you did that, you make me feel, nah, no one can make you feel. That's something I really struggled to learn. Still today, I think, well, that's not true underneath, but it, it is true. I know it as a, as a proper principle. You care because you're invested. It's about you and your accountability. So rather than having a go, what we can do is, okay, listen, right now for me, when you did this, this is how I felt in response. I, I don't want to feel like that. Can we work on that? Instead of saying, you shouldn't no, you do this, you shouldn't do this, you should, you should do that. And, and the other one to look up is really good is the drama triangle. Um, Cartman's drama triangle. There are three positions on it. There's persecutor, victim, and rescuer. And, you know, when we start saying you must, you should, you ought, you've got to, you're persecuting someone. When we say, it's not fair, everybody always, nobody ever, and everyone should, we're a victim. And a rescuer is, I'll do it, I'll help, I'll help, I'll help. And we think it's helpful. And it's not. It's, it's. Get off the triangle, which is a really bad place to be. Look it up online, Carpman with a K, drama triangle. And there's a solution triangle as well that goes with it that's really good. It, it changed my life for the, for the better. I used to travel home from, I used to work on Harley Street and um, for a long time in an eating disorders clinic. And um, I would come home and think, oh, I bet no one's emptied the dishwasher. Really irritable about it, and you know, I get more and more irritable. I bet no one's cleaned the hob, I'm like a little bit of OCD here talking. And I'd walk into the kitchen, of course, no one had cleaned the hob because if they don't give a monkeys, why do they care? It's not their problem, it's mine. And of course, if I'd slam down the dishwasher and I'd stop doing, oh my god, I'm a victim. I haven't even had dinner, I've had to see patients all night, or I've had to teach others, or I've been supervising bastards, I hate the world. I used a lot worse language than that, I'm keeping it down for this. Um, I really hate everyone, you know, and then let's say my daughter would come in and say, hi mum, have you had a nice evening? Oh, she's walking onto my triangle right now. And, and <laughs> now, oh yeah, you walk on love, because now I'm gonna persecute you. It'd be better if you'd have emptied the dishwasher. <laughs> now she has a choice, she can walk away and say, whoa, man, y'all got a problem, or, of course she won't because she's a kid and she she's going to go straight onto it she's going to defend because now she feels like a victim so she's going to persecute me yeah, so it creates that back and forth yeah i've been at school all day i've had loads of work to do or your partner i've been at work too how dare you and now we're locked we're locked into that position she has a chance to go somewhere else she might say well i'll help you empty the dishwasher again <laughs> then and then that help makes me. you go I your help yeah <laughs> And that's every conversation you've had that's heated or in an argument. So watch those positions. Look it up. It's a really good thing to do. What's it called? Karpman. Karpman, K-A-R-P-M-A-N. It's a transactional analysis principle. It's, it's a brilliant one. It's a simple one. It's great for couples. It's great for families. If you want the dishwasher emptied, tell your kids when you want the dishwasher emptied. Take up a, another thing as a parent is don't say chores. Don't say jobs. Use the word responsibilities. Same for gyms. Don't say, you've got to do this, you've got to say, this is the responsibility of being in this team. This is the responsibility of living in a house. The dishwasher needs emptying if you're lucky enough to have one. The washing needs to be put out, the washing up needs doing, the cooking needs doing. These are things to make this house function. They are responsibilities. I don't have to pay you to do them. It's part of the payment to life that we have. Start talking about responsibilities, that I take this responsibility, you take this responsibility, and that's what we're all gonna to do together. And if you have clear instructions for your athletes and children, especially during this time, 
at least then everyone says, right, that's, that's what you're going to do. That's your responsibility. This is mine. And stop using words like, let's help mum. You know, if you've got mum or you've got parents together at home, it ain't mum's job to do everything. That's yeah. a very old idea. It's everyone's responsibility. Let's not say we're helping people. That's rescuey. Let's not do that. That might sound a bit dramatic to some people, but it plays on the mind differently. You're not helping anyone. This is part of your responsibility of being part of this family or this team or anything else as well. And, and for athletes, they need to get their head around that one as well. Watch that they're not in the drama triangle. And, you know, watch your kids on social media. If you're a young person, you're an, you're an athlete, check everything that you read. You know, there are some people saying that if you have coronavirus, your child will be torn from your breast and be put you'll never see them again. Like, that's ridiculous. There are some crazy things going around. Check out your fears with your parents. Check out how you feel. Check out what's going on and ask them. And if they're honest, they might say, I don't know, but you can look it up together. But only look it up on places like the World Health Organization, the Infectious Disease CDC, and places like the BBC. Don't go to other sources. Don't believe what you read on social media. Post less, chill out, relax. Connect with your family as much as you can, even though your brain is probably hating them because its structure is collapsing with puberty and everything else as well. Go slow, take the pressure off on yourself. Everyone's feeling pressured anyway. And if your team are doing online, Zoom, um, that doesn't matter what they're using or what they're doing, join in, still be part of it, but keep that going. People say they look for motivation. It's not motivation, it's good old fashioned self-discipline. Awesome, so you've answered both questions there really for adults and, and for, the, for the youngsters. Um, and the main takeaway from that is what I was getting is talk to each other um, in a very, very, Watch, don't accuse, watch how you talk. Listen, work out what's going on for you. We all have an owl. Like if you have an owl, ow, like we tend to attack straight away. That's what we tend to do. Just if you need a few minutes, look for protected time. This is really important for your whole family. Everyone needs a bit of protected time if we're all squished in together. And so, you know, have a note on your door. Sometimes you can flip over maybe that says, protected time, just give me half an hour. As a mum, as a dad, as separated people. As a kid, you have a right to some space and protected time too, we all do. Mums and dads, mums and partners, dads and partners, mums and mums, dads and dads. Everyone needs some protected time. So start instigating that for you as a family as well. I just need 20 minutes, I'm just gonna go and do this or go out by yourself or sit, just want my protected time because you're not gonna get that. We get away from kids and kids get away from us for a lot of hours a day. Eight, nine hours sometimes with school and trips and everything else as well, we're not getting that anymore. We are in each other's faces. So everyone needs to just communicate and back off and give people a lot of time. Protected awesome. time. That's a lot of information. Um... Where can people find you? Obviously, your um, Facebook is here. Thanks. Your Mind Matters <laughs> on Facebook. How else? Have you got an Instagram? Um, no, I don't really use Instagram a lot because I don't advertise anything. I don't use a lot of social media. I go by word of mouth. So Facebook is probably the best place um, it is. And, you know, I'm happy if people contact me on Facebook or they message me, I will respond. I, I also still, I'm still working. I have a lot of clients. I will respond in between. If you have a question or you want a bit of support or help, ask me. Really, genuinely ask me. Okay. Parents, coaches, athletes, when you're watching this, if you don't want to contact straight to, to Deb or you can't find her, come to me and I'll put you in contact with her. Um, she's a very busy lady though, so we don't want... 
any random like broken nails or you stubbed your toe. Um, but no, I'd look for that. You know, swearing really helps. It reduces <laughs> pain by percent. It's just whether it's allowed in the family. Awesome. All right. So I'll say I'll say bye. Stay safe. Congratulations with your news. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully, I'll see you in a good couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? As we know, we feel like puzzle pieces, like puzzle pieces.